Well, this is part three. I'm really excited to actually preach this. I alluded to this uh, last week, and something really amazing happened. I'm even going to point to this in the sermon today. You know, we don't need signs from God to believe him. I want you to think about this. You don't need a sign from God to believe him. I'm going to look at it in John 6, and you can find it other places as well, alluding to this thought. But Jesus actually says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. We actually don't need God to prove himself to believe him. He already is God. Everything that we can see, everything we know is enough proof already. And I love that he goes above and beyond, though, doesn't he? So with that said, I want to say God, though, because he loves us, he does do many signs, doesn't he? There are many miracles, but we don't seek after signs. We don't need a sign to trust him and believe him, do we? We already believe him, but he gives us what I might call confidence boosters, right? Who loves when science catches up with the word, right? The Bible said life was in the blood. And now today with science, we know, right, there is life, everything, right? Everything's flowing through your blood. Well, the Bible said it thousands of years ago before they understood it. Maybe they understood without blood, the creature or the person died. Sure, that's kind of common sense. But now we know scientifically that there is literal life flowing within the blood. So the Bible is actually ahead of the signs, God actually was already God before he does any miracles or any signs. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Before he proves himself, he's already proved himself. So I began to just go through my notes last night. And as I'm about to preach today, uh, uh, about last night, just kind of, you know, just going over what I spoke on last week. And I had alluded to I was going to speak about some bread. Everybody say bread. Because that's going to be a common theme of today's sermon, and it's funny, we're going to be having some bread after the sermon today. A little bit of sauce and cheese on there, but bread, it's, you know, it is bread. And I uh, felt like the Spirit of God said to me, the Scripture, I am the bread of life. It was, I'm just writing some notes and bringing some things together, and I just wrote, I'm the bread of life in quotations, quoting the scripture. And then I was like, well, let me go and I'm going to go get the quote from my Bible and I'll bring it in. And so I just, I want, because I like to have the exact quote and I want the whole thing there. Even if I just say one piece of it, I'm the bread of life. So I go to Bible Gateway and I go to bring up the scriptures. And there for the scripture of the day. And I alluded to it last week, and I didn't quite get to bread as much as I meant to because we ended up in really talking about how Jesus spent some time in Matthew 6 talking about where our hearts are and our treasures are and to seek after the kingdom of God, right? If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. Everything you need, all your needs will be met. You put your eyes on him, I'll take care of your needs. That's where we ended up. 
And I was going to get deeper into that, which we're going to today, but it was the Lord, the timing of the Lord to confirm that today's the day. I don't know why certain things work like this. And again, we don't need him to line everything up so perfectly to believe him. It doesn't need to line up. His word is his word. God is God, isn't he? But I love when things come together so supernaturally that I just say, wow, Lord, you're going to be doing something above and beyond, something supernatural. So there it is, the scripture of the day for last night when he spoke it right into my heart. John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I just sat back in my chair just awed because I didn't need God to do that. I was going to go find that scripture. The Bible didn't change last night. The scripture was always there. I was going to get it so I can copy it and paste it into my notes. Word for word, right? That's what I do. Just normal process. And God intervened and stepped into time and said, I want to just, you don't need this. And in fact, it's so funny because it's a lot of what I'm going to talk about today. You don't need a sign for me to believe or for you to believe in me, I, you shouldn't require a sign, but I love you, and i like to give you one just because I love this church. Isn't that amazing? I'm just blown away by that. And I really just set up this foundation for the last two weeks that I've been you know, kind of laying this groundwork that God made a covenant with us, and you could look at so many aspects of the new covenant, and I really didn't get into all of the details, and I don't think we're going to really dig into it in this time. But what the Lord wanted us to get and see is that it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, this is the prophecy of it, Jesus confirms it, but it says in verse 33, he said, I'm going to make this new covenant with my people, and he says, I'm going to put my instructions deep within them, I'm going to write on their hearts, and then the focus for these few weeks, what I've really been focusing on, what the Lord wanted us to get in this little series was that I will be their God. Everybody, let's say that out loud. He is our God, and we are his people. And this is what is amazing. Just like I've already alluded to, that he, I don't need a sign for God to be God, right? You don't need to be his people for God to still be God. God is always God, whether you are his people or not. So this is something special. This is not making God suddenly God. But what this covenant was is that God, who is already God, is what? He is our God. He is your God. And that's a very personal thing, right? God just being God is already God. He's already the creator. And whether I, I touched on this in either week one or two, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was week one, where I talked to you about how gravity does not respect the fool. Because whether you believe it or not is irrelevant. Whether you even want to even understand it is irrelevant. Whether you've even been talked to and told about it does not change the fact that when you step off a cliff, the law of gravity will still apply. And in the same way, God is always God. Now, he does not let us stay foolish 
praise God, who has heard the gospel in this room, who has been told and told and told and told, who was told and told and told and told and told when you were young and didn't listen, and finally you did listen. Some are still being told, and the Lord is calling on your hearts today. God is always God, but this is the covenant that he was offering. I, if you are willing, want to be your God, and you can be my people. Wow. It's a personal thing that he was doing. God is not far off, but he is close. In fact, I love that we closed on what is considered a Christmas song, and here I am. Yes, it's the first week of December, but I'm kind of off pace because I'm going to bring in a traditional Christmas verse. It's funny that we make these verses Christmas, and you can only read them at Christmas time. But Matthew 1, 2, 3, I think that's fun too, just how things lined up. Just the lot, you know, we're not trying to get into weirdness, numerology, but you know, they don't know what they're doing when they're doing it. But just the, the God lining things up, the 123, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. TJ and I did not talk about that today. And again, it was a couple of weeks early. You know, but I, we can bring this verse up any time of the year, right? He is always with us. It's not just at Christmas time, not just talking about the virgin birth and Emmanuel, but he is a personal God, and when we worship him and put him at the center of everything we do, he takes care of us. Ultimately, he will deliver us from our dying bodies, but with many blessings and graces and mercies along the way. I want to move into some deeper things now today to bring some of this together. And I want you just to look with me in the book of Mark. I'm just blown away by God right now. God's doing something special today. I don't, I'm not trying to make it something that it's not. I don't do that. But there's something special here today. I never, ever, I don't try to hype up. I have no reason to hype up. I don't get paid for hype. I don't get paid at all. But I want you just to hear something. Wow, the Lord, the Holy Spirit's here today. Wow. I never liked this. The Holy Spirit's doing something today. It's special. It says in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 35. You guys never see me like this. It says the disciples, they came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's getting late. Everybody say, it's getting late, and I'm tired of being around people. Jesus, we've done enough ministry. I've done enough. I just need some alone time, Papa. Come on, my movie quotes. That's your elf line. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? Isn't that amazing? Lord, we can't do it. We don't have enough. How much do you have? I can just hear the Lord. Well, what do you have? You know, we all have something. 
Everybody thinks, oh, they're so good at this, and that person's so good at that, and I'll never be like them. You know what Jesus says? Jesus is not like, okay, let's get a comparing contest. Everybody gather up. Who's got the most? Jesus just says, what do you have? That's not our sermon for today, but it's a note that I want to make. That everyone has something to give. Everybody has something to offer for the Lord. And they said, and he says, go and find out. And they came back and report, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus took, in verse 41, the five loaves and two fish. And this is important. I want you to note this. They went and got something. It wasn't even directly theirs, but they went and found something. And then they did what? What did they do when they found something? What does the scripture say? They gave it to the Lord. You give. You say, I don't, I don't even know. You know what? You go and you start looking. You're like, I can't do anything. I have nothing to offer. Lord says, why don't you go and look a little bit deeper? You're going to find that you do have some things to offer. And you go and you find it, and you bring it to him. He doesn't even say, now give it to them. He just says, now bring it to me, because God does something special with this. And you know, actually, just a little side note, but actually, I think about this scripture probably at least once a month, at least once every four sermons throughout all these years, I think about this verse because really this is what a preacher's doing, and you are no different than me in your circle of people in your workplace, in your homes, with your families, wherever it is, is that you are getting into the word yourself personally, correct, right, as a believer, but then you can't give somebody the word. You don't have the power or the strength to really do that because they're just words, right, casting pearls before swine, but the Holy Spirit has the power to take what are just words, just an old book, just rules and regulations to them, and to give them something. So I go to the Lord with these scriptures, right? And then you're like, I don't know what to say. We all think like this. I don't have anything to give them. But then something starts pouring out of your mouth. And before you know it, there actually was much more in there than you realized because it wasn't actually you. It was something that you went, you found, you poured it, you put it in. But then the Lord does a multiplication process that's so special, he begins to break it down so that the person can receive what is Easy maybe for you to understand because you are in a different place with him, but maybe now they can't understand the depths of Christ yet. But so the Lord breaks it down and makes it simple for that particular person on that particular day to understand, maybe in a very simple way. Isn't that amazing? And I think about that as a preacher, that I give him, I spend time with him, I dig into the depths and the deep things of God, and then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to speak to somebody today that might not understand that. I'm not just saying right here in this church, but just in general, okay, Lord, how do we break it down so that they can receive it? And so the Lord breaks down what you have so that it's something we can receive. And it says that he gave, he blesses it, and he gives it back to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. So you give the Lord what you have, even if it's nothing, even if you're like, well, it's nothing. Do you know that this few loaves and few fish are nothing in comparison to a crowd of 5,000, and tradition is that they only counted the men. 
So if there was every man had a woman, or let's just say maybe half of the men had their wives there, all right, now we're at 7,500 people. Maybe each of them had a child, right? We're get, starting to get to the 10,000-plus people. So five loaves, right? Some, uh, some fish, right? it doesn't really matter. Even if they had 500 loaves and 500 fish, it's not enough. Not enough pizza. We've got more than enough pizza today. It's not enough. You're never going to have enough. You give what you have to the Lord. And this is where I want to really, this is going to be the focus on today's sermon, is that he's enough. And that's all that it matters. It's not really the stuff. It's not really your skills. not really your abilities. And, and that's the giving out. But I'm going to make this personal too. All of your lack, all of your needs, all your inadequacies, all your struggles, you realize if Jesus can take nothing and turn it into not just something, but above and beyond. Don't you think that he can meet your own personal needs and inadequacies in the same way? And that's what he's about to deal with next. We're going to look at that. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm prepping you. I'm, I'm laying out the sermon. Everybody knows this part. And everybody knows these miracles, but he's about to have a personal moment with them. In a, in a few minutes, we're going to get into that. So he breaks it down. He distributes it, distributes it to the people through the disciples, and they divided the fish for everyone to share. Verse 42 says, they all ate as much as they wanted in verse 43, and this is what I want us to see. And afterward, I want you to read this out loud. Everybody say, after. After what? After the disciples did what the, after they served the Lord. After they even served the Lord thinking, I, don't, I can't even serve the Lord. I'm tired. I don't want to be around people anymore. And now you want me to do something I'm not even capable of doing. I'm not, I don't even have the ability, even if I wanted to, it would take me too long. And the Lord says, trust me. You give your heart to me. You put your life in my life and watch what I can do. And the Bible says, and after they were faithful to do what the Lord had asked them to do, even though they didn't think they could, the disciples picked up, how many disciples were there? The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. What leftovers? Listen, I'm not the greatest at math, and I've definitely messed up, I've messed up more than one math problem up here up front, right, Tonian? I'm trying to, I'm thinking fast. You sit me down, I can figure it out. All right, but I don't need to really be great at math to understand something here. What leftovers? What leftovers are we talking about? Right, do we need a math lesson to figure this out? I don't think Common Core could figure this out. Or maybe this is Common Core. Here we go, just making up numbers. Just getting extras, just coming from nowhere. Two plus two equals five. That's apparently true. The Bible said it. Jesus was teaching them something. You serve me. You give your life to me, and I will take care of you. Wow. Don't worry about you. You worry about me, and I'll worry about you. Isn't that amazing? You know what Jesus says is he says, just like a spouse, the husband and wife, that dynamic, Paul calls it a mystery. It's the same relationship that 
a, uh, a man or a woman has with Christ. Man or woman, you are his bride. And being the bride of Christ, the Bible says the man is to take care of the woman, and the woman is to take care of the man. The two become one flesh. It does not say you take care of yourself and then take care of the other with, with leftovers, or take care of the, the other one and then take care of, you know, yourself. Wait, right? It doesn't say that. It says... You give yourself to them, they give themselves to you. And Christ is teaching his disciples the same thing. You give to me, you focus on me, you stay close to me, and I will take care of you. They weren't even asking for leftovers, but I bet Jesus was like, listen, your next question is, okay, we were already tired, we were already worn out a long time ago, and now you made us do this big feeding mission. Their next question was, okay, Lord, what are we going to eat? He's like, already answered. You don't have to ask the question. I've already answered the question before you've asked it. it takes care of them. Well, just quickly, I want to look here in Mark chapter 8. A lot of people know about the 5,000. Did you know that there was also a 4,000? Right? The mature believer knows that there was two, but usually they get blended together, and some people even think it's once. I don't know how, because the Bible actually mentions both very clearly. But about this time, Mark 8, another crowd gathers. Jesus does the same miracle. And there are leftover baskets of food. Now, something happens. In Mark chapter 8, verse 11, it says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Jesus just fed 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children. Then he feeds 4,000. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Imagine we saw that today. You know, some people will say, why doesn't Jesus just show himself to everybody? It's kind of like the old thing, you know, why doesn't Santa Claus just show himself to everyone? I hate to be cheesy like the movies, but all the movies are like, well, then, then it wouldn't require them to believe. And it sounds like silly, sounds like a ch children's movie, but you know, it really is as simple as just believing in him. And even if he were to show himself in person, do you know that others, you know how many people would still not, they wouldn't even look. They would rationalize, they would make up excuses, they would do everything they can, even with Jesus standing right here in the flesh. You know, he's here in spirit, because I can sense his presence so strong today. But even if he stood here in the flesh and said, I'm Jesus, come to me right now, and I'll give you life, I'll give you bread, there are many that would never go to him still. I don't understand that, but the Bible says that they came to him, the Son of God, the one and only, the unique one, all the, all the prophecies, Jeremiah's and Isaiah's, and even all the way back to Genesis. I mean, talking about this promised Messiah, and here he is in the flesh, and they came to argue with him. People are still arguing with Jesus today. Even a Christian can argue with Jesus and test Jesus. They began to argue with him and test him 
and they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. You know, there's never enough signs. I even say to myself, I've already, I tell myself, you ready? I want you to say this out loud. It's never enough. Who's ever come to that reality? It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's money, things, or achievements. If you're a hunter, is there ever enough, dear? You're like, that's enough. Well, maybe one more. Just give it a few days. It doesn't matter what it is, there is it's, human nature is it's never enough. If you need the Lord to give you signs to believe him, it might carry you through for a moment, but you're just going to need him to give you another sign again before you believe him again. And I have found in maturity, the more mature you get, he starts not giving signs. Maybe the immature, the young believer, he does give signs, not to because he needs to, but because he loves them and is trying to call them closer. But there comes a time where he's like, you don't need a sign. I want you to believe because you believe. I'm not going to answer this prayer right now, not because I don't want to answer it and not because I'm not capable. Not Certainly not because I don't love you, but because I want you to believe me and trust me and wait for me to do what I'm going to do in my purpose and with my plan and with my authority with my power with my kingdom and so on and so on and so on in my way and in my time and they began to argue and test him and they demanded show us a sign prove to us and verse 12 says when he heard this don't this should make you weep he sighed deeply in his spirit isn't that so sad jesus was just he sighs man i mean the weight why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. It says in other books, because the Gospels all record this moment, but in other books it says, I will give you the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? Right? The warning, the Bible says they do heed it, but later on we read that that city was also still destroyed eventually they must have still gone off in the book of john chapter 6 referring here to what's happening in mark 8 gets a little more detailed it says verse 22 i just want to read some verses quickly here the next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized jesus had not gone with them verse 25 so they come and they find him. And it says, they say, when did you get here? And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, verse 26. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So they came looking for their personal, physical needs and not for the Savior. Just give me what I need. I really don't have time for a personal relationship. I just need you to meet my needs, my earthly needs, and don't worry, I'll check back in again when I have another one. That's what they were saying. And you know, but how many of us, right, and how many people, that's exactly their relationship. I mean, at times, I'm not judging anyone here today, but at times with God, he becomes a genie in the bottle. 
We go to him in need, but when things are good, we just run off. We don't even realize we've run off. We just kind of carry on with our life and do our own thing. But, oh, my gosh, you know, I have need again, so we come crying back to him. And that's what's happening here. But he says that what you don't understand is that Jesus... The prophesied Messiah was standing there. I love that I fed you. You guys were hungry. You needed that. You know, in six hours, you're hungry again. And you've had a snack in between. So I was glad to feed you. But what you didn't understand was I was actually showing you that I am the promised Messiah. That's what I wanted you to get. I didn't want you to see, oh, look what I can do with my magic finger. But I wanted you to see that I love you and care for you and you had been listening to me for a long time, so I fed you, but I want you to realize that what I was speaking was the real sustenance, not the bread that you ate and put in your stomach. Because he says in verse 27, don't be so concerned about perishable things. You know, we can apply this to everything in this earth. Every single thing. Just the, Because, see... What the food does is it satisfies the stomach and things of the earth, things of the world, whether it's, you know, a hobby or whether it's this, you know, this, uh, this desire to work, 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 work and achieve, whatever that thing is, you know, some people get addicted to stuff, get addicted to sexual stuff, they get addicted to drugs and alcohol, whatever it is, but something to fulfill this, there's a need and, and a desire within us, and the devil is crafty to supply it easily. That's on demand and free. It's always on tap. Devil's got his stuff always on tap, right? It's very easy to get to. And it's just perishable things that suck up your energy to distract you, to fill you temporarily. You're always going to need more. But he says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. That's what this whole thing was about. And it goes on. You could read it on your own time. John 6 is a very sad chapter, but it's one of my favorite chapters. It finally, they're arguing with him back and forth. It says that... They start arguing, well, you know, Moses gave us manna. He says, Moses didn't do it. God did it. And then he says, the true bread of heaven, verse 33, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life, life to the world. You ate something that God did, yes, supernaturally, but all it did was fill your stomach and you needed to eat and eat and eat again. But I, verse 34, he says, uh, Give us, they say, give us this bread. So he says, I, verse 35, am that bread. I'm that bread. You know, sometimes we say, Lord, give us what I need. Give me what I need. The Lord's like, okay, I've got an offer for you. We say, okay, I'll take you up on our offer, but I don't like the details. The Lord's like, I want to use you. I want to do things through you. I want your life to bring me glory. And we say, yes, Lord. And then he says, how to do it? I'm not interested. I want to do it my way. I don't really want, I just want you to do what I need you to do. I don't really want to do what you want me to do. But he says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty and he goes on and just confirms at verse 48, I'm the bread of life. He says, you ate manna. 
you know, and they all died. They all ate manna, but they died. But he says, verse 50, whoever eats this bread will never die. It goes on and says, you need to eat my bread, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And now the conversation starts getting interesting, because now they're starting to go, wait a second, we were tracking. I didn't like it, but I was tracking, but whoa, well, <laughs> wait a second, what did you just say? He goes, oh, you, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And you know what happens? This is why I said it's one of the saddest. John 6, 6, 6. John chapter 6, verse 66. 666. It says, Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Not the 12, but there were others beyond the 12. We know there's at least 120, right, in Acts. We don't know who they were or how many. They're unnamed. Even, you know, the, the Marys. I call them the Marys because there's at least three of them that I can count. But they were some in this group of disciples. So there was a group of people that followed him, and they were faithful to him. This is not the Sadducees. You know, the world, religion, theology, intellect, it begins to argue, and it will always argue with God. Satan has been an arguer from the beginning. That's what he did. He twisted the word in Genesis. He twists, but... That's not sad. I mean, it breaks my heart, but I just come to, you need to just come to reality with that. The sad thing is that the argument crept in to the disciples. They're always going to argue the devil, his, he's offering intellect, he's offering knowledge, he's offering things, and whatever else. But at some point, now the disciples said, I followed you this long but I can't do it any longer. They turned and they deserted him. I'm going to leave that there because it's just very heavy. Let's look back over at Mark chapter 8. I'm going to leave you excited at the end, though, by the way. I am. Mark chapter 8, verse 13 says, so he gets back in the boat, all right? They have this big encounter. Peter's like, you know, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to leave also in John 6, 67, and we don't, you don't need to turn there. And he's like, where would we go? So they, they, they're back with Jesus. In Mark 8, we continue the story. They're back in the boat, and he's crossing to the other side. And verse 14 says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. The disciples forgot to bring bread enough bread. Here, here we are again. Wait a second. 5,000, 4,000, manna, this big argument. This thing is continuing, right? Do we see this? See this story? And he says to them, verse 15, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Some of the other Gospels say the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and in Mark, which I think is important, also says, well, let's just say this, you ready? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. And those are three important points. We're not going to get super deep into them, but those are the three, if you look at the different Gospels relating to telling us the same exact story, Right? So they're not contradicting each other, just different perspective, me telling the story versus Aaron telling the story. 
It's the same thing happening, right? So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod, and it says at this point, they began to argue with each other. Did you bring bread? We only got one loaf. I don't know what he's talking about, the East, the Pharisees. Jesus knew what they were saying, so they must have been whispering because he's in the same boat with them. So if he knew what they were saying, then he was listening to their whispers, <laughs> to their calculating, just like we all do. They're trying to break it down what Jesus is saying, right? And this is what the Lord's about to do right now. He's about to break it down for us, and I think it's going to be so special. Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Matthew, uh, the Matthew account of the story says, you have so little faith. Mark chapter 8 continues in verse 18. You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Listen, you guys, if you've been coming to this church for a while, you've heard me pray this. I pray it every week during worship. Eyes to see and ears to hear, right? Because Revelation tells us that's one of the gifts that he'll give us. It's actually a gift, right? Eyes to see and ears to hear. And some missed Jesus and some saw him. Some heard him, right? The blind Bartimaeus heard him. He had ears that were beyond physical. He heard the voice, but something in his spirit knew this is Jesus, even though the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herod are arguing with him. But he says, when I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? You know what's amazing? He doesn't say, did you see me do the miracle with the 5,000? He doesn't even talk about that. He says, when I did that, how many baskets did I pick up as leftovers? Did you pick up as leftovers? That was the point he wanted them to get. He didn't say, didn't you see the miracle I did? He said, how many baskets did you pick up? And they said 12. And he says, well, verse 20, when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? They said seven. Verse 21, don't you understand yet? Wow. I only have five minutes left, so I could really, really, we could really get into some deep things here, but we're going to keep it light. What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. Listen, you want bread? I'll give you bread. I'll give you more. I'll give you so much bread, you'll get sick of bread. Some people would like that, then they wouldn't love it so much. <laughs> Listen, I can make bread. I can do miracles. I'm Jesus, by the way. I don't want you to get obsessed with things of this earth. And I don't want you to get so focused on this earth. Don't forget why you're in this boat with me. Wow. Wow. I can give you bread. How many? Listen, are you really worried about you right now? Because didn't I take care of you before? Why would I fail you now? And just because you think you don't have it now, does that mean you really don't? 
Now, we don't have time. Like I said, only have five minutes. But just let's just quickly, you guys are going to have to use your, your imagination in the story, and you're going to have to trust me as pastor, and I know you do, but let's just fast forward. Come over here to another story. John always makes fun of my sounds. I have sound effects for everything. Let's go over here. Jesus is at the well. He's at the, he's at the well with the woman of the well. And he's speaking to her, and they're having this another encounter about being fulfilled by something other than the earth and by people, right? She's, got, she's had plenty of fulfillment by people. You can read your own story. And he says, it's, it's, there's a water within me. If you knew who you were speaking to, you'd ask me, and I'd give you the drink. I'm asking for water from that well because I'm thirsty, but I, I want there's something within me. And they have this incredible, beautiful encounter. The disciples come back, and they're like, Jesus, you must be starving by now. And you know what he says? He says, I have a bread that you do not know of. He said, my sustenance, my life, the bread that I eat comes from doing the will of my Father. The bread that Jesus was offering to the 5,000, to the 4,000, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, and now when they don't think they have, he said, you do my will, and there is a satisfaction, there is a fulfillment, there is a sustenance that is greater than the stomach, because the stomach will always be hungry, just like the eyes will never see enough, just like you can never accumulate enough. You, you love to hike, you can never hike enough miles, right? You love to fly you know, to other islands, you'll never see enough. You like to collect money, right? The Bible says the guy's like, what do I do with all my money? I've got so much, he builds another barn just to hold it all. It doesn't matter what it is. You will never be satisfied is what he's actually saying. And he's teaching his disciples right then and there. The satisfactions of this earth, they are temporary. And what happens is, and, 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 and this is why he says the yeast of the Pharisees, the Sadducees and Herod, because what happened is, is the Pharisees, they got so caught up in religion that they missed Jesus. The Sadducees actually were religious, but in a different way. They, they didn't believe in the supernatural at all. They didn't even believe in the afterlife. And Herod, all he wanted to do was just see Jesus for a show. That's what the, I mean, you could look, it says it in Luke 23 and in Luke 9, he, that he just wanted to see him. He just wanted him to perform a miracle. He just wanted Jesus for the entertainment, for what he could give him, for what he could just, you know, make him feel good about. And what Jesus is trying to teach them uh, here in this moment is, listen to me. I'm just going to read some things. I'm just going to read it so that I don't miss it and then I don't take extra time. Our bread must be him. Bread's even a nickname for money, right? Our needs will be met by the Lord. He will take care of us even if it's not what we want or in the way we expect. Jesus was teaching them an even greater lesson here that he is the bread of life. He will take care of you, but even more than meeting your physical earthly needs, he will meet your spiritual needs. And they are intertwined when we need our physical and our spiritual are both there. That's why when we fast, it's so powerful, because when we deny the physical, our spiritual actually gets a greater lesson, right? 
that it's our faith in God that will truly satisfy. And he says, I'll give you bread, but there's a greater bread. It's me. Focus on me, and I'll provide the abilities to do what I've asked of you. Focus on me, and I'll take care of your needs. Focus on me, and when you feel like you don't have what you need, I'll provide for you. Why would I fail you now? You saw the miracles. You saw how I used you, and then I blessed you. But now you think you have lack. You think I've gotten into a situation that I can't get myself through. But you need to know that Jesus is still there. And he will come through this time like he did the last time. Maybe in a different way, but he will sustain you. And your hunger and lack or whatever your pain is right now, it might be that we need to activate our faith and to trust him. That's the yeast of the Pharisees that they didn't trust him, didn't matter how much he showed them, they were never going to trust him, they were never going to believe him, and he was saying, won't you just trust me and believe me once and for all, that I'm here with you, and that I will take care of you, and he said to them, that if we will look at him, and we will trust him, instead of focusing on what is what we call our lack. In fact, we should use it. There's a moment when you don't think you have it. There's a moment when you feel like, I forgot the Lord recently, or, I, or I've gotten into a place of pain and suffering or darkness or whatever it is. Use it because the Lord is there to dig deeper for a greater fulfillment than the temporary fulfillment of this life. What I want us to see is that this is our purpose. I want us to recognize that when we push past this earth, our earthly needs, our earthly inadequacies, Jesus will provide. We push past our inconveniences, Jesus will provide. We push past our own needs that we think we do or don't have. And some of those needs are not even needs anymore, right? Who has found that? That many times when we focus on him, and we focus on the kingdom of God, that even the things we thought were needs, many of them aren't even needs anymore. And Jesus will meet us and be there, and, and I could just keep going on, but he will be there with you. He wants to be there with us right now. In every single thing we go through, this is the focus. If we focus on him, I just wrote these this last things, and I've been saying it to myself all morning. We can do nothing without Jesus. Nothing and no one compares to him. Whatever we do that is not for his glory is worthless. And everything else only makes sense after making Jesus the center and the focus of the reason we live. We are able to live with purpose by knowing him. We are only able to love by loving him first. We are able to walk out our callings by giving him full control and letting him direct our day. I'll just leave it with that, but I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this sermon, and I thank you, Lord, you're doing something in our hearts. It's deeper than just words coming out of my mouth, but you are doing something supernatural here today, Lord. You did something, Lord, I think already, I just believe it, Lord, I believe it's already happened. Not even something you're going to do today, but you already did it, Lord, during this sermon. 
A spark has already happened in our heart. A flame is about to burn. I thank you, Lord, for you in a greater and deeper way. And I just thank you, Jesus, as you're calling us. You're calling us. You're calling us deeper. You're calling us to that place. Thank you, Lord God, where we just are so, Lord, in love with you, focused on you. Lord, in everything else, it's just, Lord, everything else is so, Lord, it just doesn't compare. It doesn't satisfy. And you take care of us. You're there for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're speaking many hearts, healing wounds, healing things in hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.